Tom Perriello, candidate for governor of Virginia. All these polls show people don't have any idea what any of the candidates for governor want to do or know enough about them. So what's your little 30-second elevator pitch to voters? Well, look, I think uh, there are a couple things people in Virginia want right now. They want uh, to make sure Virginia remains a firewall against the kind of hateful politics that we're seeing from Donald Trump in Washington that was soundly defeated by Virginians at the polls. And they also want a positive vision of an inclusive economy that doesn't leave any regions of the state or communities, including communities of color, behind. So at the end of the day, people want opportunity and they want to be treated with dignity rather than seeing you know, federal officials coming in and breaking up families. How does that set you up for a primary or and then later a general election where typically very few people relatively come out to vote? How do you get the people to be there to support what you're kind of standing for? Well, we have a progressive energy right now in Virginia that I've never seen in my lifetime. And I think one of the things that's very important is that we don't expect people to come to us. We want to go to them. Uh, that's part of why we've been at the March, uh, the Women's March and at, at Dulles Airport multiple nights after the travel ban and meeting with indivisible groups and anyone that will have us. I think it's a mistake for Democrats to just assume that anti-Trump energy is inherently pro-Democratic uh, Party energy. We have to earn that. And since I've spent most of the last 20 years in the progressive movement fighting for opportunity and equality and dignity, I think this is going to be a natural place where uh, we can build a campaign that speaks to uh, those where that energy is. So is this more about national or more about local? Uh, traditionally, there's been the kind of this heavy Virginia way focus here. Where, where do you go from there? Well, first of all, I think it can be a really privileged perspective to think that Donald Trump is not a local issue in Virginia. For communities of color, the choice of Jeff Sessions and the rhetoric has been extremely um, uh, concerning. If you are in uh, ethnic communities where there are ICE officials coming in, when we've seen the dehumanization of the most vulnerable, whether that's refugees or uh, transgendered teenagers, these are very local issues. And that's what I'm hearing from Virginia families is they want to know that a Virginia governor is going to do what they can to stop that. In addition to wanting to know what we're going to do to create education and job opportunities, and that's why we've been in the lead uh, from all the campaigns on how to create clean energy jobs instead of building rusty old pipelines, how we're going to reform our criminal justice system, and how we're going to make community college and uh, trades apprenticeship programs more affordable. Northern Virginia, we hear a lot about we don't get enough education money back from the state. We don't get enough road money to deal with our traffic or to deal with Metro. What kind of things uh, do you have specifically for Northern Virginia listeners? Well, you know, I've been living in Alexandria the last five or six years. And so I'm someone who is very well aware of the need to make greater investments in our public transportation and our infrastructure more broadly. In fact, I just finished a project a couple years ago for President Obama reviewing the State Department and USAID. And one of the things we looked at is that our ability to attract and retain the highest quality of professionalism in our civil service and foreign service depends on the livability of Northern Virginia, including affordability, including public transportation, including telework opportunities. And those are all things that we do want to invest in uh, down in Richmond. I think part of the solution, frankly, is to help uh, develop parts of the state that have been a net drain economically uh, on the budget, but have great potential to be part of the clean energy future, uh, part of decentralized food production and other things that I think could actually create some synergies between Northern Virginia and, say, some of the southwestern parts of the state.
you've been up here. You've heard a lot about Metro. You don't, do you have a specific position or anything on, on Metro? Yeah, I'm incredibly uh, bullish on public transportation. Uh, you know, I lived right on the Braddock Road stop for a while and still didn't end up using it very often because there was about an hour and a half delta of uh, not knowing when I would get to work and particularly home from work since I often worked well past midnight, uh, that that's just not an option that's going to be, uh, be usable. We have things where we could, you know, uh, double track even before some of the tunnel investments are made. I think we need to obviously continue to look at investing and uh, making sure people can get out to airports uh, in a meaningful way. Um, so I think and then the number of toll roads, while it's been positive to get some uh, development going, really does become quite a, a morass out there as you're going around. So I think we need to think built bigger about how we can uh, use uh, public transit and rail uh, here in Northern Virginia. Several things you've in the past supported or voted for and apologized for, I mean, the ACA abortion, the NRA. Why should voters believe that where you're at now is what they'll get if you end up sworn into office next year? Well, because on the Affordable Care Act, I was true to my word. I said that I wanted to get to yes, and I was very proud to support the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Obviously, it made pre- and postnatal care uh, covered. Um, It removed uh, the long discrimination or, or made progress towards it of uh, being a woman being considered a pre-existing condition. Over 400,000 Virginians now get their health care there. I did pledge in a conservative district that I would uh, respect the Hyde Amendment and the ACA, which was an unfortunate pledge, um, but I did keep it. And I've similarly pledged that I will remain the brick wall Governor McAuliffe has been, uh, vetoing these regressive bills against women on affordability and access to reproductive services. Uh, that's something that's going to be very important to me. And since I've kept my word on that in the past, I will continue to keep my word on that. Governor McAuliffe has sort of, at least in the, especially in the first couple of years of his term, ran into these issues of kind of not having the relationship or the understanding of how people expected things to happen in Richmond. Do you think coming from outside of state government helps you or is some kind of, you know, potential learning curve that you'll have there? I think coming out of diplomacy helps. You know, I've spent the last uh, few years as a diplomat for President Obama and the State Department. And before that, I was a peace negotiator in in Afghanistan and West Africa. And I'll tell you, if I can sit down with warlords and dictators, I should be able to sit down with people who just disagree with me politically. I think when we bring our best principles to the table, uh, but also look for room for common ground, uh, we can do that. I think having some outsider status probably does help. Um, But we also see some shifts. I think there's real room, for example, on something that's been a long passion of mine, which is criminal justice reform where because of the way in which the opioid uh, epidemic has tragically hit parts of the state over the last few years, there's slightly more interest, I think, and we've seen some small steps uh, to moving away from this idea that investing in more and more prisons instead of investing in people and prevention uh, may be the wrong track. So I think we can find some common ground on some of these issues. Are you confident? Are you... What, how do you describe where you stand? You know, we're three months away from the primary and... <laughs> whatever it is, nine months away from the general election. Look, I feel uh, we're way ahead of where we expected to be in the race. Um, you know, in terms of the primary, uh, the other guy had a, a three-year head start on us, and in two months we've pulled even in the polls, and we're doing better head-to-head against the Republicans in the fall. I think the energy right now um, is a great match for the kind of um, uh, background I have, both in progressive movement politics, but also uh, having been a, a member of Congress and a diplomat. I think people are uh, the volunteer response, the grassroots response has been huge. 
we've really been leading the policy debate, whether it's on debt-free community college uh, for two years uh, or on opposing the gas pipelines that I think are incredibly wasteful. And interestingly enough, we're even getting support uh, in Trump country for things like refusing to take money from Dominion Power that has had an iron grip on both parties uh, too often in Richmond. How, uh, I mean, things like free community college, some of these other things, where does the money come from from, for for that? I mean, tolls have been the way we've gone forward on roads. Do taxes go up to pay for all these things or is there some other way of getting there? Well, for 30 years, we were told uh, a lie that wasn't played out by the data, which is that growth trickles down from the top. If we just gave tax cuts big enough to the richest people that somehow everyone else would benefit. And all of the data and evidence shows it's not true. Growth is actually based on the purchasing power of the working and middle class. When people have more money to spend, uh, they tend to spend it and spend it locally. We need to understand the difference between what's an expenditure and what's an investment. And when we're investing in people's education, that is something that grows our economy and grows our tax base. When we have an eight-week training program that can move a single mom from minimum wage and collecting public assistance into a living wage job, that is a smart investment. A former uh, staffer of mine is working on a program focused entirely on single moms in Charlottesville. And last year, there were over 200 living wage jobs in hospitals uh, that went unfilled because we couldn't match the talent that already exists with those programs. That is a failure to invest. And some people have called this charity or said, let's make them do a year of community service. This is just completely missing the point in the lived reality of what we're trying to do. We don't need that person to do a year of community service. There is a private sector job that could transform their life and give them dignity and turn them into a taxpaying citizen that already already exists. This is a missed opportunity on us, not a charity program, and we should be finding more and more ways to move people into uh, those kinds of uh, professions. So assume everyone thinks that's a great idea. You still have a majority Republican, heavily majority Republican House of Delegates, pretty much no matter what happens That's in not November. True. Uh, I think if we run the tables, if you look at what's been happening in the Delaware and Connecticut races, we are in a whole new ballgame here. I think what you have to remember last year was nearly 60 percent of Virginians went to the polls and rejected Donald Trump. He did worse than any Republican candidate for president in Virginia in my entire life. And this is a big deal in terms of where Virginia Virginia is. It's where the energy is. I was in Congress when the Tea Party emerged. That was mostly after April 15th. So we're talking about a movement right now uh, that is much stronger and earlier and appealing to a broader set of people. Uh, we had 17 delegate seats in Virginia currently held by Republicans that uh, Hillary Clinton won. Um, if we turn out in state elections, we can run the tables on the delegate seats in the local races. If we have a candidate at the top of the ticket who's passionate about these issues and can speak to the fullness of our coalition, if we can build those bridges to where the energy is and make them excited about this campaign, uh, I think we could see a very different legislature uh, next year. You have a Republican you'd rather run against or rather not running against in the general? Yeah, I mean, I personally, I hope it's Ed Gillespie. I think he's uh, the interesting thing about him is that he's really everything Trump voters hate about their own party. So when I talk to Trump voters, uh, which I try to do every week um, a couple times, uh, they they see that. Yeah. Anything else you think that, you know, it was a really important point for you, especially to our Northern Virginia listeners at all? I think it's a really important point for moderates and progressives to make sure that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We have to be uncompromising 
and our resistance against hate and division and attacks on the Constitution and the most vulnerable. But it's also important for us to be putting out a positive vision of inclusive economic growth. And I think when Democrats run on a status quo message, we lose. When we run on a change message, we win. And that's because there are these deep challenges in the economy. Uh, and this isn't about you know Governor McAuliffe or President Obama or even President Trump. We're seeing a reconsolidation in the economy. We're seeing the challenges of automation, and people are feeling less sense of even uh, sovereignty over their own futures. 